0: Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn his truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 through 29. Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 through 29. This will be the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. I pray that God has spoken to you as we've gone through this series. Allow me to read Matthew chapter seven, verses 24 through 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall for it was been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowd were amazed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, would I pray that you'll open our hearts to these truths. Lord, through this series of messages on the Sermon on the Mount, Lord, you have convicted us that, Lord, it is not following man's ways to get us to heaven, but it's following your simple plan. Lord, that simple plan is not easy. Lord, it's a very narrow path. It's very difficult to travel. And, Lord, it means total, complete surrender to you. Help us, Lord, to examine our own hearts today to make sure that we are living a surrendered life to you, that we truly are your children, transformed by your Spirit, and living for you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this last half of this last chapter on the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus is really kind of convicting us, I think, of examining your heart, are you truly following me in the right way? Are you truly a child of God? And he kind of gives us these comparisons. He gave us the two paths and the two gates, the wide path and the wide gate that leads to destruction. This basically represents that easy way of salvation, man's way of salvation, Man keeps telling us if you'll just do these do's and don't do these don'ts, you're a shoe in If you're just better than the majority of people, you're okay. If you believe in anything hard enough with your heart, then you get to go. In other words, there are multiple paths to heaven, to salvation. But God says no, there's a very, very narrow path and a narrow gate, and few find it. If Jesus says that few find it, and this is the only way to receive salvation, then that causes me to wonder, am I saved? I believe it's a challenge for all of us to truly examine our relationship with the Lord to know have we truly followed that narrow path and are we entering through that narrow gate? Well, what is that narrow path? What is that narrow gate? It is a surrendering ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. The narrow gate basically represents that we cannot take anything with us. We cannot earn our way to salvation. It is only through Jesus, and he is the only way unto salvation. And then he uses another comparison, two different kinds of trees. Trees that produce good fruit and bad trees that produce bad fruit. And he basically compares, again, the right way and the wrong way to salvation. There are many who are teaching a false way of salvation and they do wonderful things they teach us to do good works and they again show that if you're just good enough if you do the right things if you say the right things then you're on the right track to heaven but jesus says you will know them by their fruits by their fruits well where's the fruits is it in doing the good things the good deeds setting up orphanages uh starting hospitals schools and and ministering to people in your community those are wonderful things they're godly things are you doing them in your own strength because you want to say i helped or are you being led by the spirit through his power through his control and you're doing it because god is showing you to do it totally different perspective and now it's looking at two foundations the first foundation is on the rock, second is on the sand. Now, it really doesn't talk about uh, what the house looked like. Basically what it says is that they both built a house. I have a feeling that from the outward appearance, these houses would look identical. You would probably find it hard to understand that there was any differences between these two houses. I have a feeling they probably were constructed probably well, You know, stick-built construction, everything nailed in place. So what's the difference? It is all about the foundation. The foundation is the critical part. Now, we live in Starkville, and the area part of Starkville that we live in uh, has shifting ground. We call it gumbo mud. It it expands any time it rains, and then when it dries up, it contracts tremendously. And so our foundation has shifted a little bit over years. So we've had to hire the professionals to come in and dig deep uh, trenches and, and put pylons in and to help support the foundation. Not what I really wanted to spend my money on. We learned the hard way after we purchased the house that this was a situation in a lot of the areas of historical. Well, house looks fine. Looks like any other house but it's all about the foundation. So we look at the foundation. Well, let's look at spiritual things, religious things. You know, we, we tend to judge people by what we see. Huh? You're all here today, wonderful. You're attending church. Hope most of you, if not all of you were in Sunday school where you're studying the Word of God, wonderful. Hope you all gave a tithe and offering today. Perfect, wonderful. Hope when you leave this place, you're doing some really good things, ministering to the uh, widows and orphans and taking meals to those who are sick and and ministering in whatever ways. Wonderful, but where's your heart? What's the foundation on what you're doing these things for? There are millions upon millions of people who are doing exactly what you're doing today. They're sitting at a pew in a church but they're doing it for all the wrong reasons. They're doing all the good things in life, but not because they are being led by the Spirit of God, but because they know that if you claim to be a child of God, if you claim to be a Christian, then you ought to be doing good things. You should be in a pew today. You should be in Sunday school. You should be giving a tithe and offering. You should be doing good things in your community. And so they're doing that. But where's the foundation? is the foundation, a Spirit-led, surrendered heart to Christ. Where the Holy Spirit is the one guiding you and urging you to do these things, you actually have a heart's desire, a hunger and a thirst for the righteousness of God, so you want to be here so that you can learn more about the Word of God. You want to be here so that you can sing these wonderful praises to the Lord. It is your heart's desire to get out and to minister in His name, not to take credit for yourself, but to be used by God. That's where the foundation differs. From the outside view, you all look the same. You're all doing good things. You're here today, but only God sees the heart. God knows the foundation that your life is built on. That's the key. That's the most important thing in all of life. So we look and we see that The rock represents foundation built on Christ. We look and we find uh, later in Matthew, Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 18, that this rock is the same word that Jesus used when he was talking to Peter. Allow me to read that passage, Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 18. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, this faith that you just proclaimed, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Many people in different places Religious groups think that when Jesus said upon this rock, they were talking about Peter. No. Peter's name means little pebble, but he used the word rock, a mighty fortress type of rock. And what he's referring to is not Peter, but Peter's profession of faith. The power of his faith where he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and I place my entire faith in you. That's what Jesus is saying, upon that foundational truth, upon that foundational faith, that surrendering, that is where I will build my church. The church is built on, not Peter, the church is built on faith, a surrendered faith to the Lordship of Christ. So when we place our entire faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord, our lives become unshakable. Now let's just be honest, we are still humans and we still allow the trials and the temptations of life to to kind of rattle us sometimes, don't we? But what Jesus is saying that is, if you place your faith in me, I am the rock. I am the stability that you need in life. I am the answer to all of your problems. Uh, Feel that the Lord's leading me to begin a study out of the book of James. Because it really talks about what we do after we are finally convinced that we have this right relationship with the Lord. Then we need to live out our faith. And the first thing uh, James says is, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you face trials. I still struggle with that, don't you? But what he is saying and what Jesus is saying here is, When your faith is in me. I will give you the wisdom, I will give you the guidance, and I will be your strength through it all. So don't be rattled. Place your faith in me and I'll see you through. I'll be with you every step of the way. And so what we're looking at is the the building on the foundational rock, Jesus. Now we've been talking quite a bit about Lordship. There are a lot of people even in Baptist communities that do not preach or teach Lordship. They simply say if you have proclaimed that Jesus is the Savior of your life, if you have verbally said that, if you believe that He died on the cross to save you from your sins, that is all that's needed for salvation. But If you go back to last week where Jesus said Just because you called on me and said, Lord, Lord, call me by my divine name, doesn't mean that you're going to heaven. He says, instead, just because you have called on me, but you've never had that surrendered life where what you do is according to my will, my power, he says, I will say to you at the end, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Folks, didn't they call out on his name? Didn't they, weren't they doing miraculous things? They did miracles in his name. They cast out demons in his name. (coughs) Excuse me. Didn't they do wonderful things in the name of Jesus? Yeah, but not for the right reasons. They were not surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. He was not the guiding force in what they did. Yeah, God can use good people to do good things even though they're not doing them in his power we look and we see that Jesus being as clear as anything the entire sermon that he preaches the sermon on the mount Matthews chapter 5, 6 and 7 have basically been saying man has set his way that he believes will lead to salvation. But I'm saying that's wrong. If you remember, Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are empty. They they understand that there's nothing in them that, that has any power to be saved. There's nothing that they can offer to God. They're destitute, poor, in poverty. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit because they will see God. Why? Because they have understood, I am nothing to God. I have nothing to offer to God. Then those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Why are they mourning? Because they have realized that their sinfulness separates them from God. And only once they have placed their true faith in the Lord, will God say, now you will have a hunger and a thirst for my righteousness the righteousness of Christ, not your own righteousness, not the good things that you do, but the righteousness of Christ. That's reading, studying, meditating on his word, praying so that the power and the spirit of God takes control of your life and lives out his will through you. So Jesus set the stage by what it means to truly be a child of God. Then do you remember what he would say? It has been told by man this is what the Word of God says. But I say to you this. See, the scribes, the Pharisees, the rabbis, they had all basically said, well, the Word of God says this, but let's put it into man's perspective. If we can make this book, all these chapters, and all these rules and regulations as to what we think this means, then man can basically obey God through his own means, his own strength, and his own power. That's what Jesus is saying. This is what you've been taught. This is what's been said. But here's what I say. And he goes back to the truth of the word of God. He, He was even saying, you know, even if they quote the true word, do not commit adultery. He says, let's look at the heart of the law. If any man lust in his eyes, in his heart, he has committed adultery. Same guilt. And so Jesus has been very blunt. He's shown us the different comparisons, the wide path, the wide gate versus the narrow path and the narrow gate that very few find. He's saying salvation is not an easy thing. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts that you follow. It's not man made laws that you obey. It is God living in and through you. So how do we do the will of God? We live by a surrendered life to the Lordship of Christ. That means that each and every day, I confess that I'm a sinner before God. I pray that he'll forgive me of my sins and that he'll cleanse me from my unrighteousness that he will make me pure and holy in his sight so that I may serve him faithfully. Then I pray that I will surrender anew to the Lordship of Christ so that he can work in me and through me to do his good and acceptable and perfect will. I want him to be in complete control of my thoughts, my desires, my words, my deeds so that it's not me doing things, it's him doing things through me. That's what I'm talking about, trying to live a surrendered life. Am I perfect at it? Absolutely not. Neither will you ever be. That's why we still have that wonderful verse over in 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins and we still are sinners, that God is still faithful and righteous and will forgive us of our sins and will cleanse us anew of all of our unrighteousness. That's what God continues to do for us as Christians when we still make mistakes when we still take the reins and say, oh, I can take care of this myself. So we're looking at being built on the foundation, of oh, rock. Jesus is that rock. There is no other way to heaven but through him. We cannot be good enough. We cannot do enough good things. Wonderful that we're here today. Wonderful that you were in Sunday school. Wonderful that you gave a tithe and offering. Wonderful that you do good things in our community but are you living a surrendered life to Christ? That really is what matters. If you're living a, a surrendered life to Christ, you're gonna be doing all of those other things anyway. There's no doubt about that. It's not gonna keep you from doing those. You'll just be doing them with the right heart. But what about building on the foundation of sand? Well, we already know the answer to that. Sand's gonna shift, the foundation's gonna give, and according to the word of God, and it fell, and great was well, its fall. But the house looked identical; they looked the same. They were built with a lot of pain, a lot of, lot of work, a lot of sweat. See, the people who are trying to get to heaven by their own means do a lot of work. They're very conscientious about what they do, what they say, how they look. They come to church. They learn the Sunday school answers. They know how to talk the talk and walk the walk. They know that if they do good things in their community, they will be looked at as a Christian. So why do they fail? Why does their house fall apart? Because it's not built on the foundation of Christ. It's not built on the surrendered lordship of Christ. They're doing all these wonderful, good, godly things, but they're not doing them by the Spirit of God living in them. See, there's no transformation that's taking place by the Holy Spirit that comes in when we become a child of God. If there's no transformation, then there is no salvation. So we look and we see that their world tends to start falling apart when the trials and the temptations start to happen. They start saying, oh, what am I going to do with this? How am I going to deal with this? And yeah, they may even say, God, I need your help. But in reality, they've already kind of figured out how they're going to try to deal with it. And they're going to try to deal with it in their own strength, their own power, their own wisdom, their own knowledge. But then, when things don't get better, they begin to doubt, they begin to fret, they begin to worry. See, they really have no true divine guidance to show them the way to follow. You know, not every trial ends. Sometimes trials are continuous, and the longer they last, the more they doubt, the more they fret. But as a child of God, even when the trials continue, our faith is strong, because we know that the Lord is our strength. He is the one that will see to us each and every day to provide us with that strength, that assurance, that peace that only he can provide even in the difficult days we face. So building on the shifting sand, you have nothing to stand on when the going gets tough. There's also an ultimate test of our foundation. It's still yet to come. It's the time that we're gonna be facing a final trial that will determine heaven or hell. Well, how are we gonna determine that? Well, you may have called out, Lord, Lord, but he may say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, when Jesus comes again, he's not gonna come as savior. There's not gonna be a second chance or a last chance to say, oh, I see you. I want to confess you as Lord of my life. When Jesus comes again, all that's too late because he will not come as savior. He will come as judge. According to the word of God, we will all stand before him. We will all stand before him in one type of judgment or the other. As we stand before him as a child of God, he will examine our life and he will say, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. What does that mean? It means that you have truly placed your entire faith in him. That he is Lord of your life that he has forgiven you of your sins, cleansed you of all your unrighteousness, and he says, enter into your eternal reward. But for those who maybe called out on his name, Lord, Lord, as a vacation Bible school kid, somebody who said, yes, I raised my hand, yes, I prayed that prayer of salvation, but that's as far as it goes. He'll say, I never knew you. We talked about that last week. That word no means an intimate relationship to know Jesus as Savior and Lord is intimate he knows us personally he has this inner relationship with us that's why his spirit dwells in us as a child of God so that's what it means we're going to be facing that ultimate test one day doesn't matter where what we said with our mouth what we believe and live out through our heart that Jesus truly is Lord because otherwise there is no second chance. The only verses not written in red in three chapters. Last two verses of chapter 7. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. The scribes and the Pharisees, when they taught, most of the time they would refer to one of the revered rabbis and say, well, Rabbi, so-and-so teaches this, and they put all their authority in what they were teaching and what the rabbi said. Jesus never referred to another man about what he was teaching, never. What he did, he basically said, maybe not in these words, but thus saith the Lord. God says this. I say this because Jesus is God. How many times through this these three chapters did Jesus say, "Well, you have heard, but I say." He was speaking with his own authority, the authority of Almighty God, because He is God, and they were amazed because He wasn't speaking on the authority of other men. He was speaking with authority of God. They never heard anyone speak with that kind of authority before. Now, what does that mean? Did they all examine their hearts and their lives and say, which path am I on? Am I on the wide and the, or the narrow path? Which tree am I listening to? Am I listening to the tree that has rotten fruit or no fruit or the fruit doesn't match the tree? Or am I following the tree that represents the tree of life, represented by Jesus? What am I building my life on? What foundation am I building on? Am I building on what the scribes and Pharisees are teaching me, basically all these extra rules and regulations of do's and don'ts? And that's how I'm going to base my salvation by doing my best to, to live a good life? Or it's my foundation built on Christ. And through my relationship of surrendering to Him as Lord, He is filling me with His Spirit. And through that He has given me His strength, His wisdom, His guidance, and I am living a life in obedience to Him. That's the questions that they all have to answer. Scriptures are silent as to what their responses were other than amazement doesn't mean that they all truly gave their lives to the uh, lordship of Christ. I pray that they did. But if they're like most human beings, they say, well, that sounds good. I'll think about it. I'll go home and sleep on it. And that's the last they think about it. They don't sleep on it. They go out the door and they forget what they have heard. Well, I am not here to judge you because I cannot judge you. God is present today and He knows your heart. He knows if you're living your life on the right foundation. He knows if you are living your life based on a surrendered Lordship of Christ and you are allowing Him to be Master and Lord of all. That it is His desire that is coming through you through His Holy Spirit guiding us to live in a way that honors Him so that when we do these good deeds, when we show up for church, we're not just going through the motions and singing songs. We are truly worshiping God. And when we come to Sunday school, we're not just there because it's the thing that we're supposed to do. Instead, we are hungering for the, and thirsting for the word of God. When we give our tithes and offerings, it's not just because, well, I'm supposed to do that. Because I want to be a part of worship. I want this to be an act of worship so that God can use this along with many others so that his kingdom here on earth will flourish. When we do the good deeds in our neighborhood, take a meal to somebody who's in need, we're not doing it just so that somebody say, hey, do you know who brought me a meal? Isn't that wonderful? No, we do it in God's name for his honor, for his glory. Those are the differences. I don't know the motive behind what you do. I don't know why you're here today. But God does. This entire Sermon on the Mount is all about that. This entire Sermon on the Mount is about, Are you listening to man's way? Or are you following God's way? God's way is sounds simple, but it's difficult to do. Jesus himself said, The path is narrow, the gate is narrow, and few find the way to salvation and eternal life. If if Jesus says it's difficult, then guess what? It's difficult. It's not the easy way. There is no easy way to salvation. You don't just raise your hand and repeat a prayer and say, that's it. That may be the beginning stage, and I know for many people that was the beginning stage of their walk with Christ. I praise the Lord for Vacation Bible School and for revival services and things like that, but that's not the end all. It's what we do after we say that prayer. Do we really, truly surrender to the Lordship of Christ? When we do, He, through His Spirit, begins to do a work in us. We will never be the same again. He begins to transform us into what He desires us to be. You know what? You and I are always going to be different. God's going to give you different talents and abilities than He will give me. He will give you different people in life to minister to, to share the gospel with than He does me. But God is the one who's in control. His Spirit is the one that guides us, works in us, through us to do His good and acceptable and perfect will. So, what foundation are you on? I can't tell. You all look the same to me. You do good things. You're here today. You're in Sunday school. I guess you gave a tithe and offering. I hear about the good things that you do in this community. Praise the Lord for that. I have no idea why you do them. It's not my place to know. I'm not your judge but God is. Let's bow together. Dear Lord, it is so hard for us to truly examine our own hearts because, Lord, we're biased. We want to see what we want to see and so we will easily convince ourselves that we're doing the right things for the right reasons. Lord, only you know the truth of our hearts. Only you know the true foundation that our lives are built on. You are the only right judge. Lord, you're the only one that can show us if we're truly a child of yours or if we're walking by a different path. You're the only one that can show us if we have entered through the narrow gate or if we're following the wide path. Lord, you're the only one that can show us if we are living according to the Lordship of Christ, allowing your Holy Spirit to be the guiding force in everything that we say and do, think and desire. And Lord, it's all for your honor and for your glory. Or if we're just doing the good things, hoping and praying that that's enough to get us into heaven. Lord, only you know. Lord, I pray for your convicting power in every heart and life here today that you will be the one who judges us here and now to see if we are right in your eyes or if one day we will hear Jesus say, I never knew you, depart from me. Saddest words I found in the Bible. Lord, help us not to ever hear those words but to be truly surrendered and built on the foundation of Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.